Yeah, hundred percent. Like the numbers have to dictate my actions, right? I don't make any discretionary actions. So if I want to make an action during a trade or during a setup, I have to have a hundred, two hundred, three hundred data points backing that action, showing me that this is the best course of action, that this results in the highest yield over time. Because if you're trading discretionarily or based on what you think, then how do you know if that's the best course of action? You just guess. Right? And I think most successful discretionary traders have some kind of template in their mind that they follow. They may not be able to put it in words, but they do have some kind of mathematical data-driven approach. It's just not laid out on paper. I don't really believe that you can become successful just trading based on your intuition. That's just my philosophy. Maybe there's outliers out there, but I just don't think you can do it consistently. You're listening to the Steady Trade Podcast, a podcast that inspires traders to make meaningful strides and pursue their passions. Your hosts are Tim Bowen, the lead trainer at Stocks to Trade Pro, Kim Ann Curtin, the Wall Street coach, and Steven Johnson, the up-and-coming trader who's always willing to learn. Together, we'll sit down with experts to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and discuss how all traders can level up their trading careers. Welcome to the Steady Trade Podcast. We have Tim Bowen and the popular guy on Twitter right now. He's really been making a name. I would like to call him, he's a kind of a monster short right now. It's Chris Verma. Um, we've got him. We're going to ask him some questions. I've got, I've got a range of things to talk about with the press. We've also got Tim Bowen on. And I've also got some Twitter questions, but first of all, how's life? How's the market? Chris, I, I feel bad because I've got you on a red day. Yeah. <laughs> I just saw you post your red day. Like, how's how, yeah. how's life? Well, outside of today, it's been pretty good. Um, this entire run that I've had has been so surreal. It's just, I think it's every trader's dream when we come into the markets, because most guys, they come in with a small account, like five or $10,000, and they all have dreams of like, just exploding and making a hundred thousand dollars, quarter million dollars. And when you can do that in a short time frame, it just really opens up your world and of what's possible and what trading can do for you. So it's kind of, yeah. I mean, Chris, I, I just want to take you right back to the start. Cause I think it's a good idea to get right back to the start of, of how you got started. And I mean, I've looked on your blog, I know July, 2018, you had a post saying you're fairly new to day trading. You'd started in 2017 and now I know three years later, you've passed that million. Oh, geez. Yeah. So yeah. very well done. And what I'm more proud of is the transparency of the wins and the losses. Yeah. But Chris, can you just take us right, right, right back to the start? How did you get into it? What motivated you? What was your original career and passion? Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of went over this in my blog. So I'm a pharmacist by trade. I've been doing that for 10 years, but I've always had like a, interest in math, statistics, probability theory. So when trading was presented to me as an option to make money, it always interested me because I always wanted to use money and statistics to have an edge in the markets and grow compounded growth. You're working a nine to five job. I mean, you're basically, your growth is linear, is limited based on time. You can't have exponential growth patterns. So that's what something like trading or sports handicapping, which is what I did for 10 years, can give you. But the thing is, in sports, the market was changing. The sports books were getting too efficient, and my edge was diminishing over time. So I had to find something to venture out. And I saw trading, and you know, it was actually a follower of mine on Twitter that mentioned it before I got into trading that I should try because I had a data-driven approach. And I made the mistake of actually jumping right in with a lot of money trading. Because I thought it'd be so easy and so like comparable to sports. But what you don't realize is that with trading, you have so much room for like self-sabotage. Like <laughs> in the middle of a trade, you can do things, add things or take away shares. But in sports, once you place the bet, it's kind of out of your control. Right. So you're kind of protected in a way. So I never had to learn those emotional discipline aspects. So when I first got into trading, I took some heavy losses, like, you know, averaging losers, bag rolling losses, all the typical mistakes because you just don't want to lose. So from there, I kind of transitioned into like short selling. I started as a long trader buying bounces 
And then I started getting to short selling, had my experiences with blow ups and all those things like we've all done. <laughs> uh, how did long go? How did, how did buying those bounces go? Because I, I mean, I know you're a diehard short seller, right? Yeah. So well, when I first got into trading, I didn't even know what short selling was, right? So I just wanted to find a strategy that I thought would work. So I was basically doing the same thing that I do now, but the exact opposite. So stocks that were dropping really quickly, I'd be looking for a bottom bounce. And it did work for the most part because most stocks don't dump that much. But what I found was the liquidity just wasn't there. Like on the stocks that do dump, like there's only like maybe half a million shares traded. You can't really size up. The fills were really tough. So if you're like nickel and diming for a couple of hundred bucks, you can probably do it. It's low risk. You don't pay locate fees. You don't need a fancy broker. So it's a very low key strategy. But I wanted something that was more scalable and that I could kind of build on. So I switched. Well, to that's short. you know that's the bummer with buying those bounces. Is a lot of a lot of times you could be right, but they just kind of go nowhere. And like you said, the liquidity yeah. goes away, and then you're just like staring at it for four hours. You yeah. know the the one thing about short and the big runner of the day, man, you're you're either getting stopped out or that thing's ripping back. So it's like you're not you're not stuck with that paint drying scenario when the and then you're like, come on, come on, you know. Yeah. Yeah, there's more volatility and more volume in the short side. Because I think people want to chase stocks going up. They don't want to you know, trade things that are going down. Nobody looks at the down gapper list of the day. <laughs> no, they don't. It's always what's moving up. So that's what people are trading. So that's what I gravitated towards. But there's a lot of pitfalls and hurdles that you have to overcome when it comes to short selling. Because it's not as easy as you know us short sellers make it out to be. I honestly think longing these could be easier because there's less risk. You know, you have to pay for locates. You're not going to blow up your account. No, but I mean, I, I just have to say, honestly, and I mean, this was something I was personally feeling. I mean, look, I'd love your opinion and was skipping a bit ahead in the interview. I'd, I'd, I'd love to break down the fundamentals of your strategy a little bit and just give some teas as yeah. a way. But I mean, look, this market right now, it's, uh, and, and I've been DMing you and stuff like this. It, it's tough. I mean, how are you finding the change of the market from a, a year ago when at 931, mm-hmm. 932, 935, your strategy was short and it will fail. Whereas yeah. now it's a whole different strategy. You're paying heavy locates for shit to run on you. Mm-hmm. Like you're paying heavy locates to lose on that stock. I mean, how's the change of the market been? Well, I'm a data-driven guy. So what I've noticed lately, especially this year, is the volume has been through the roof. <laughs> We've seen volume in small caps that we have never seen before. And even this month specifically, I think so far this month we're – on pace for a record volume in small caps. Like everything seems to have at least 50 million shares. Like KIXN today, I took a loss on. And this thing was, I don't know if you guys saw the chart for this, but this was probably the most manipulated ticker I've dealt with in a long time. Just the spreads were, it was jumping 10 cents on thin air. It was just very skippy and algo manipulated. And this is the environment that we're having to navigate now as short sellers. It's not as easy as it used to be. But on the other hand, you do have the liquidity to size up. So this year we've had guys posting P&Ls, record P&Ls, myself included. And that wouldn't be possible if we had, you know, small one, two million shares traded. So in a way, it's a good thing if you can adapt and adjust to the market conditions, right? Because that's what it all is about, you know, adapt or die in this market. Yeah, well, I, I remember it was like the other day, I like caught myself and I just started laughing. I was like, yeah, you know, this thing's only trading 20 million shares at like 9.15. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, did I actually just say that? You know, I'm like, I'm like I, I just, I stopped and I'm like, <laughs> only 20 million, you know, in some micro cap, you know, puny $1 stock with 4 million float. And I'm like, only 20 million shares. You know? <laughs> but, but I mean, sure. Just a prerequisite though, Tim Bowen's strategy, and he, te- he teaches the, the stocks, to tro- stocks to Trade Pro guys, it's like dipping rips, right? And, and there's nothing, I mean, nothing, I mean, how are you dealing with the fact that the market's completely changed and nothing really dies anymore? I mean, mm-hmm. is your strategy to show things later or do you have a different strategy? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Stephen, because I'm actually in the process of changing my criteria for covering my positions because like you mentioned we're not seeing things just dying things are holding VWAP they're reclaiming with volume they're making different patterns and whenever you have excessive volume in these stocks you're going to have irrational patterns or patterns that we've not seen before so you can't predict what's going to happen as well as we used to be able to do 
So what I'm doing now is I'm trying to figure out which cover, cover criteria I should incorporate, like covering sooner or taking partials into washes and then possibly recycling shares, hitting it back at resistance levels instead of just holding in the holding for all day phase, which don't happen that much. What would you say that you did uh, that you've tracked maybe, for, I mean, I know that you started trading maybe 2017 and I've tracked data for a few years back as well. Would you say that data is irrelevant now because there's so much more volume now that it's a new game or that's the hard thing to really say because we're all trying to predict what's going to happen forward going forward. Right. So we all have to decide, all right, is this the new norm or is it just an outlier in the data? Are things going to go back to normal? Yeah. So the longer it holds these types of trends, it no longer becomes a trend. It becomes the new norm. Right. So I'm at the point where I'm kind of considering changing my strategy, at least to some degree to counteract for these crazy moves. Cause like KXN today, I was up 20%. And I didn't take any profits. And I wound up taking a $36,000 loss on the ticker. No, man, what, what was the ticker again? Sorry. What was KXIN. KXIN. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, this thing was just absolutely ridiculous. Like I shorted it at 130 out of the halt and it came down to 90 cents. In most cases, I would take profits there. But I just thought it was so weak that it would keep dumping to like maybe 70 or 80 cents. And I got punished for being too greedy and too patient. But I mean, Chris, you remind me of someone like, and you might, you'll know the name Maraz. Like you remind me of someone like Maraz. You're a bit of an outlier. You trade the massive size. I've discovered you randomly on Twitter, the same as Maraz. But I mean, like, what is the secret to kind of the strategy or how did you formulate the strategy? Because you've kind of come out of nowhere, right? I mean, I know you've been trading like 2017, but yeah. all of a sudden I'm seeing these huge gains on the internet. And I'm like, how did you start? Where did it come from? Where did the system come from? Well, I've actually used the same strategy for a few years. I've slowly refined it and it's become quite good now that I've started my own you know, service, my own room where people are following my strategy. So it all comes down to compounded growth, right? If it works with a hundred shares, it's going to work with a thousand shares and so will with 10,000 shares, especially with the volume that we're seeing now, you can size up more comfortably without really trapping yourself or over leveraging yourself in these uh, lower volume chat pumps. Because there's no such thing as low volume anymore. Everything seems to have at least 10 million shares by the end of the day. But a year ago, it was very rare to see that. So we're seeing a complete reversal in the volume. And that has and changed. I'll, you know, I'll tell you this, you know, again, being the, you know, I've, I've been in the, you know, the low priced, you know, the, the penny stock game since 2007. And I mean, it's just like, I mean, man, you look back. I always talk about the dark days from like 2012 to like 2015, man. And I used to trade stocks with like, I mean, I'd trade stuff with 700,000 shares traded on the day. I mean, yeah. that's today. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. No one, no one even, I mean, I mean, you, you would never even consider trading that, but yeah, sure. you know, the, sometimes the big, the, the KXIN of the day might only trade 2 million shares, you know? So. Yeah. Definitely a crazy market that we're in right now. But like I said, it's adapt or die. So you got to make the adjustments or you're going to be left in the dust. But can I just ask you, I mean, I saw a tweet maybe a month ago where you said you'd hit the mill mark. You'd hit the million mark. Yeah. So how was the process of, of hitting the first million? Because then I saw later on you, you'd like took the bad loss of 100K or something like yeah. that. And you're like, shit, I've just had a red month. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit to take people through what you went through? Well, I did reach the milestone about a month ago. And since then, I think I've lost some ground. I think I'm at like 920 or something, which is not much off of that amount. Like, I know I'm going to make it back. It's just a small drawdown. But I did take some of my worst losses ever in the last few weeks. And it's partially due to sizing up more, right? If you're using more size, your winners are going to be bigger. So will your losers. And when the market is so you know, biased towards long traders, which it has been lately, it's been kind of brutal for us short sellers. You know, you're bound to take a few hits. But nope. how, I mean, look, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited to speak to you because I've, I've, I've kind of wanted to ask you on DMs as well. I'm like, do you have advice for the short sellers who are being massacred right now? <laughs> <laughs> stick with it. Can stick you help us? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it reminds me of a period of time in July where things were very long bias and the short sellers were getting destroyed on everything. And a few guys in my chat room were really concerned because they haven't seen the markets like I've seen them over the years. They haven't seen the ebbs and the flows and the ups and downs. 
And I always say, you know, things even up. This may not be our time, but our time will come. Sure. And what happened was I answered in August with my best month ever. Oh, beautiful. Okay. We nailed every play. So my advice is just to stick with it. If you change your approach, then you lost because you're too reactionary. Yeah. You want to trade like a robot. That's my advice. But yeah. Tim, Tim, what would you say? I mean, because look, I mean, Chris, and in, 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 I'm not joking, in March and April, I, in March, I think I had 20 green days out of 20 green days. I literally couldn't lose. I was like the best trader ever. It's like I've cracked the game. I've won. I've beat the system. That <laughs> now we're sitting in, in October and I don't know what I'm doing. But I mean, yeah. Tim, it, like Tim, has the market changed forever? Or... Because, I mean, look, I mean, Chris, you'll respect. Chris has been in from 2017. Tim's been in from, like, 2006. Yeah. So you'll appreciate the opinion. Tim, has the market changed forever? Is it more bullish because of these Robin Hodders? Well, what, that, you what know, earth is going on? I, 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 you know, Chris, a, a few minutes ago said, you know, is this the new normal? And, again, ultimately, it's just my opinion. But in my opinion, this is the new normal. I think that, you know, again, I, I even, you know – something I talk about a lot, like, like Chris is here from the sports betting world. I think, I think, you know, that shut the shutdown. I mean, no sports. I mean, again, we, we all joke about Dave Portnoy. I, I, I don't think, I think at some point Portnoy will give up sports betting and he'll just day trade. I think it's more interesting. You can actually find an edge. I mean, it's like, I mean, you know, again, I know you can find an edge, but like you, Chris said, it's like, ultimately you just, you know, you bet 50 bucks on the Lions, in my case, and you lose, of course, because the Lions always lose. But at least with, at least with, with, with uh, trading, I mean, you can find an edge. You have a stop, okay? If, if, the, if the Lions are down in the fourth quarter, you know, you can, you can close the trade and you take that small loss. So I think it's the new normal, in my opinion. And I know we all joke about the dumb money and the Robin Hooders. I think that's part of it. I just think there's so much – I think there's so many sports bettors that had no sports for six months and they're like, I'm not going back. And I think, and, and I think there's, in my opinion, there's some big money sports betters. I mean, again, Chris, you know, I, I don't know if you're trading with your whole account, but I mean, you're talking mil- million, multi-million dollar accounts in yeah. these, in these 4 million float stocks, man, yeah. you know? And so I think it's the new normal in my opinion. I don't, yeah. I don't think we're going back. You know, I think you're going to see volume like this, until something changes now obviously if the election comes and we fall into into the apocalypse that will change but i think barring some black swan this is the new normal for now so yeah i agree tim i think it's a lot of the covid situation too we've had a lot of people have lost their jobs so in you know in replacement of that they've started trading so we have a lot of new traders in the market and like you said a lot of sports betters right these guys need to make money yep some way so they try to translate their skills from sports to stocks to have an influx of new players in the market new volume new money and that's resulting in these crazy patterns and squeezes and things so I, yeah i think it will be the new norm i think things will calm down a little bit but i think the volume is here to stay at least for another year or so yeah agreed agreed yep and i just want to jump in and say me and or tim and i i'll, I'll say it Tim and I have always and Tim was a short bias trader like you and I, Chris, and he switched. He switched like I don't know. Tim will tell you the year, but he switched. Twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. He said yep, he yep. felt like something in the market had yep. changed, and yep. he, he he refers to it as like black thought or something out of the market. But deep down, he knows that the he talks about hedge funds, like hedge funds entering the penny stock market. I mean, look, Chris, you've seen these these pre market six a.m. Pushes, 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 pushes. Nine thirty-two drops. I mean, what what role do you think hedge funds have in the penny stock world now that they might not have had in the past? Well, I don't really know because I don't think hedge funds have that much activity in penny stocks. I think there's some limitations. I'm not entirely sure, but I think there's some limitations on the price range stocks they can even invest in. But I do think there is different uh, algo manipulators that are involved in these plays right now. We've seen all kinds of manipulation, like fake halt moves and all these crazy volume algos where they're just squeezing shorts, they're trapping longs, they're just doing everything to create false liquidity. Like I remember Jivo last month or whatever it was, traded almost a billion shares. Yep. 
I'll always remember Bill. I mean, I was like, I was like praying for it to hit a billion. Yeah. How can, how can you possibly explain the volume on that? That's not retail trading. Yeah, it was exactly. all algo manipulated nonsense. So when you see like, I think MDGS the other day, it was just squeezing up and then it yeah. just so it just, on four, on four. I mean, I was short that. I was short that, and I was about to cover on four, and we right. saw the watch to the three thirties. So there's definitely some manipulators that are controlling these moves more so than before. So that's why I've always tried to focus on lower volume chat pumps. The manipulators and the algos won't target these ones because they don't have the liquidity to run their right. games. Yeah. So they trade more organically, more naturally, and once momentum fades, they kind of just die. But when you're dealing with stocks like KXIN today, it makes all these reclaim moves and all these crazy squeezes. You can't attribute that to retail trading. They don't have the volume to do that. You think guys in Robinhood or stock twits are able to make these kinds of moves? You know, and I, I just, I, I brought up the chart of KXIN and, and it, this just, and I talked about this the other day on a podcast and this chart just with the volume and the price action, I just yes. visually with these algos that you're talking about, I just see like this, like this dial, you know, and I, and I joke about like the wizard of Oz and you see that with KXIN where it's fading and the volume's fading. I just see them like this maniacal guy, you know, just yeah. like drying up the liquidity, like sucking everybody in. Oh, here we go. It's fading. And then it just ramps back, you know, like, like MDGS yesterday. I mean, that thing was dead meat, every dead meat, dead meat. And then it spikes 90 seconds, 90 cents a share in one candle. It's like, what happened, man? There's, there's something. Well. Yeah. Yeah. There's something going on there. And, and, and then KXIN did it three times today. You know, yeah. you see it and then it whips <laughs> three times. And I see, yeah, you know, yeah. so, but I mean, can, can retail traders beat this game? I mean, is this game harder than ever? Because like back in the day, three or four years ago, I thought, look, hedge funds don't touch penny stocks. It's an easier game to learn than Forex, but we're seeing algos, we're seeing hedge funds, we're seeing top grade manipulation. Chris, mm-hmm. what's your opinion? Is is penny stocks getting harder to trade right now or, or what? Um, I think it's always been hard. Sure. It's trading, you know, there's no easy money out there. You're taking someone else's money who doesn't want to give it up. So you're <laughs> going to have to beat them. Okay? So you have okay. to find an edge and execute it. And I think that's where most traders fail is because they do have a profitable strategy, but they just don't execute it properly. They don't execute it consistently enough. So that's the thing. I've always said that there's more profitable strategies than traders who can execute them. Ooh, I like that. Oh, <laughs> that's my thought process on that. <laughs> you know, there's, there's so many traders out there and I teach guys to trade for a living. And even guys in my room are having the problems that I'm, explaining here and I'm coaching them directly and I just can't understand why they don't you know ingrain my lessons but you can't do it that way you got to learn yourself you got to learn from your own mistakes so I think in this market like it doesn't matter who's teaching you or you know what dvd guides you've watched or what webinars you've signed up to you just got to learn from experience and these markets are you know they'll definitely teach you quickly Mm -hmm. the amount of manipulation we've seen so I think it's possible for retail traders yes you have to be very diligent and just don't expect it to happen overnight. You know, it took me about three years before I turned the corner and really became profitable. So don't expect an overnight miracle. Yeah. But I mean, I, I'll, I've, I've known Tim Bourne for about four years now and, and Tim Sykes as well beyond that. And we've always laughed because I've, I've had one to one time with Tim Bourne and Tim Sykes yet. I've made every single mistake in the book that you can possibly make despite having the one-to-one time and guidance. And I think you just have to make your own mistakes and you have to experience the pain of losing and the pain of losing makes you learn. But I mean, if if you've got a new trader tomorrow and you are experiencing this market, I mean, I'm curious because you say you are a execution based trader. I'm really curious what that means. And, And if you had a new student tomorrow, how would you teach them to be an execution based trader? So for me, my training is strictly data-driven. So I try to take all emotions out of my trading. So everything is predetermined before I enter the trade. I don't make any decisions on the fly. Because if you're making emotional decisions or decisions that are discretionary or decisions that are in the moment, then it's likely going to sacrifice your edge. Because we as humans are not wired to make money in the markets. We're wired to lose money. Yeah. Based in your trades off of your intuition or what you think feels proper, then you're probably going to make the wrong decision. So when I enter a trade, I have a predetermined plan. 
And if I follow that plan to a T, then my execution is 100%. But I deduct marks if I make conscious errors. So let's say I sized in too heavy on the initial entry. I'll deduct 5%. If I enter below my trigger price, I'll deduct 5 10%, right? Like sometimes you don't want to wait for the stock to get there. You FOMO in. You feel like you're going to miss it, right? That's emotional trading. Um, like today on KXIN, I was tempted to add more shares as it was ripping against me, but I did because I was at my max position size and it saved me because I would have lost a lot more, right? So it all comes down to following your plan in the heat of the moment. It's one thing to have a plan before you go into a trade, but it's another thing to be able to follow it, you know, throughout the trading day when your emotions are pulled and you're feeling all kinds of impulses to do things and, and you know, interject. And it sounds like you're very rules-based too, you know, it's like, and I think that's, you know, we, we go back to that experience thing. I mean, again, I, I you know, it's like, I, I, it took me years to come up with rules and, you know, it's like, you just got to make those mistakes. I mean, I mean, you could, you could have someone sit there and scream at you all day long, you know, cut your, you know, keep your losses small or, you know, stop out at support and resistance. But at some point you just got to make those mistakes in that pain you know, I talk about that a lot. I mean, just, it's like, you just, you just don't want to go back to that pain. And, and that's where it, and that's, you just got to, you know, make the mistakes and, and learn from them and, and just never want to go there again. You know? So. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent, Tim, because every time I feel myself making a mistake that I've made before, all those painful memories come back in my mind. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> it's like not, PTSD, man. <laughs> I'm going down this road again. And the thing is, I think once you reach a, a certain level of consistency in trading, then you can trust yourself more. You're like, okay, I know I can do this. So you don't feel bad taking a loss. Like today I lost $18,000, right? That's a sizable loss, but I don't see it as you know, career ending or confidence shattering. It's just a small setback, a drawdown, and tomorrow I'll be right back at it. So if you see these losses as catastrophic and it affects your confidence, then you're probably going to bag hole the loss until you blow up. See, that's where most traders fail is because they don't want to take the loss. They want to get it back right now. And the loss turns into a blow up and then you're out of the game. So that's where rules really help you. Now, now one question I got is like, um, you know, cause a lot of, you know, one, one thing, one of the reasons I'm always so cautious with shorting is cause you know, a lot of people try and do it with a, with a really small account. And I, I'm just like, man, you're, you're really handicapping yourself because you know, if, 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 if your starter size is full size and you're trying to short some 400% runner, man, it's really hard. So mm-hmm. if you don't mind sharing, you know, like what size account did you start out with? And, and did you, cause you meant, you know, you meant shorting wise, like, like where were you at when you started shorting? If you don't mind asking. So. Yeah, no problem. Uh, when I started this run back in November or December last year, I started with $3,800. In okay. So small account. Okay. And I was very aggressive with the account because it wasn't a large amount of money dollar-wise. So my starter position was 50% of the account. So if my account was, you know, 3,800, I'd be in for almost $2,000. So I would use that with about a 75% stop. So if I stopped out, I'd be losing a considerable amount of my account. But I was very aggressive and that allowed me to compound it very quickly. Well, good. Wow. Yeah. Again, that's, you know, that's impressive because, you know, because that, that's a small account. I mean, now again, people try and do it with 500 bucks, you know, good luck, but, uh, but yeah, that's uh, you know, wow. I mean, I'm, it's impressed because you know, that that's the biggest thing when people, you know, cause I, I, you know, I kind of caution people. I'm like, learn on the long side first, build your account up, maybe save some money, you know, squirrel some money away. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but damn, that's impressive. Well done. So. Yeah, I think it's really hard to trade a small account as a short seller because the locate costs will really eat into your profits, right? Yep. Locates the commissions and then just bad execution. So it's really tough, but it's doable. You know, I did it with Trade Zero and they had one of the highest locate rates for most brokers I've seen. Sure. Made it work. Yeah, look, I mean, what you, you, you seem extremely statistical and I read on your Twitter that you talk about execution uh, rates. I mean, at, at what part to you is trading a science and at what point to you is trading an art? Because for, for me, sometimes, like, I'm, I'm going through this battle right now. Like, I track data, 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 data for hours a day. And I'm like, yeah, I'm really making this a science. But I feel like when I really rely on me, artistic side, me intuition, I do better. 
So, but you see more science side. So I'm, I'm really curious, which side do you lean to and, and, and which side do you get the best advantages from? Um, well, my approach has always been data. Like if the data does Majorly science. Yeah, hundred percent. Like the numbers have to dictate my actions, right? I don't make any discretionary actions. So if I want to make an action during a trade or during a setup, I have to have 100, 200, 300 data points backing that action, showing me that this is the best course of action, that this results in the highest yield over time. Because if you're trading discretionarily or based on what you think, then how do you know if that's the best course of action? You're just right. guessing, right? And I think most successful discretionary traders have some kind of template in their mind that they follow. They may not be able to put it in words, but they do have some kind of mathematical data-driven approach. It's just not laid out on paper. I don't really believe that you can become successful just trading based on your intuition. That's just my philosophy. Maybe there's outliers out there, but I just don't think you can do it consistently. I think you're right. There's, there's outliers, but they're, yeah. I mean, they're outliers. I mean, there's yeah. only, there's only so many Michael Jordans or LeBrons or Kobe's, you know, there's, there's, there's three there's the, well, there's, there's one Michael, there's one LeBron, there's one Kobe, you know? So but I mean, you've heard the modern outliers of the Doxers and the Gratanias, and they all talk about the the Excels and stuff like that. I mean, what what advice can you give to to new traders to start tracking? Because I mean, look, I've been tracking for years, and it's obvious that the more volume, the higher the the, the higher the high of days, right? Mm-hmm. The lower the float, the high the the more volatile it is. I mean, yeah. how how can you make the science of data tracking? Uh, to the point where it's actually quite specific on where you get in and where you get out. Well, I think first what you need is an idea. So my idea when I started trading was I want to buy stocks that are dumping really hard, really fast because it'll probably reverse. So I'm trading short-term reversals. So from there I said, okay, how much percentage points should I wait before I look to buy in? So I said, all right, let's go for 20%. So then what I did is I filtered all stocks that dropped 20% in the 10 minute time frame. And then if I were to buy it at that point, okay, should I sell at 10% or should I sell at 20% or should it be time-based? Should I sell after an hour or should I sell end of day? So once you track all of these metrics, like once your trigger is reached, so for now as a short seller, what I do is I look for short-term parabolic movements. So I'm looking for stocks that are going up very fast in a very short time frame. So usually 15% minimum move in under 15 minutes. That's my general criteria. So let's track the last three years of data and say every stock that made this kind of move, if I were to short sell it at this point and held until the day was over, what would my yield be? And what stock should I use? And what position size should I use? And should I cover partials at certain percentage points or should I cover at certain times of day? So once you track all of the data, then it becomes so obvious and apparent to you what the you know, best course of action is. So that's why I let the data drive my actions. I don't make any decisions on my own. I just look at, okay, what would have yielded me the most returns? And then I just do that. But, and, and I get that, but what happens when you get the KODK or the DOAS or the SPPI? What happens when those crazy outliers happen? Well, the, the statistics would show you that they do happen some percentage of the time. Outliers are going to occur, but that's why you have stops. That's why you have risk management. Yeah. You kind of limit yourself. Like I took a big hit on SPI. It triggered a criteria for a gap up short for me, and I was short at the open. And on gap up shorts, I use 100% stop. So I stopped out at 100%. I think I lost like 80000 90000 yeah. <laughs> made a mistake because I got back in when it was at $20. <laughs> <laughs> I covered it around seven dollars, and I thought, okay, let me short it again up twenty. This can't go any further. <laughs> a minute later, I think I lost another twenty thousand. I was down seven points. I said, "Screw this! I'm out of here." I didn't try it again. But yeah, there's always outliers like that. You just have to have the data to ground yourself and give yourself a statistical edge that you can apply over time. So my theory is that if the market's going to beat me, it's going to have to do it over a hundred trades, not one yeah. or two. I like that. I like that. Blow <laughs> up on one trade. That will yeah. not happen. Yeah, but if the market can beat my edge over a hundred trades, then kudos to the market. Right, but not but then, one time, not one trade. <laughs> but how much is that? How how far are you back testing? Because I, I know there's an old rule, and just like I, I'd like to ask you to give advice to the new the new. 
data truck is. That everyone who tries to make it tries to truck data to find an edge, right? And well, actually, Stephen, just I want to interject just because of what he uh, said a few minutes ago. I like where you're going, but I mean, what Chris laid out right there. When I when I joke, I mean, and again, Twitter's a freaking wasteland. So I mean, ninety percent of what I post is sarcasm, okay? But everything Chris said, none of these guys that I make fun of are doing any of that. And, and, yeah. and you, you know that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when I make fun of day one low float shorts, I mean, these are guys that they couldn't, if, they, if everything Chris just said, they probably wouldn't understand half of it, okay? But yeah, they're still short in a stock that's up 200% because it's up too much. I mean, there, there's a difference between Chris and these idiots that drive me nuts, okay? <laughs> There's a big fucking difference, all right? So anyway, give your go with your question. No, but I mean, I mean, the first question is, Chris, how should, and I'm sure you, you, you help people who are in your room, but if you could give something free for the, for the listeners of, of the podcast, how can people start data tracking, data tracking effectively? And also, how much data do you need to mm-hmm. really start making a good analysis and good predictions and, and to form some sort of strategy. Okay. Well, I think tracking now is a bit tricky because we don't know if this you know, period of outliers and ballistic market conditions are going to hold up. So what happens if you start tracking the data now and then things revert to their old ways and everything yeah. is backwards? So this is where you can actually sign up for like backtesting services or stock data services, historical databases you can buy. And it does come in handy. So what I have is a database that I've hand tracked since 2018. And I personally prefer that and recommend that because a lot of the services, if you buy, like here's a prime example of why I wouldn't buy someone else's data. Like let's say they have a certain price point that triggered the entry that I wanted up 15%. But how much actual volume traded at that level, right? Can you size up and scale into that amount? Like sometimes it was just one little print that triggered this price and the data is thrown off. So that's why I like to look at every chart, every, I even like to look at the level two when things are triggering on my data points so I can see, okay, could I put, you know, 50,000 shares, 100,000 shares, could I have scaled into these things? And also there's a lot of error that, errors that you'll find in databases. So many of these things that I've gotten from other people and they've had, you know, misprints or misdata or misdates, things like that. So it's really recommended that you hand track this stuff yourself. 100%. What I would do is start an Excel file, start, you know, what you want to trade first. You want to short gappers, then every day have a criteria. Okay. Our criteria is up 30% on the day. Minimum pre-market volume, 500,000. Um, there's certain red flag criteria, which I can't exactly give away, but you'll figure those out yourself. So you want to avoid certain statistics on the stocks like floats, market caps, you know, short float percentages, um, distance from the 200 SMA, EMA, um, insider percentages, institutional ownerships. So these are stats that I track. And once you have a database of, let's say, 200, 300 tickers, then you'll be able to see which ones performed better and which ones didn't. And then you can filter your criteria for the ones that perform best for your strategy. So it all comes together after you have about 300 data points, I think, in your Excel file. See, I, I totally, 100% agree. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, backtesting stuff is, is, is good, but I think it's, I think it's way more efficient if you're talking quote unquote real stocks. When you're talking these wild, you know, the SPIs of the world, I think you just, you got to see that happen. You got to live through that, you know, and again, you're, you're short in parabolic stocks. I don't know if that data back testing data works. I mean, it it probably works for Microsoft or Apple or Amazon, but I I think you got to, you have, in my opinion, you got to build your own data and you got to see these things happen and to to actually make it usable. It's one thing to five years from now, pull the data from SPI. I just don't, I don't think that helps you in any way, my opinion, you know, you got to see it happen. So. I totally agree. It's all about putting the work in and doing it yourself. How bad do you want it? I think most guys want to just jump in and have someone hand themselves. (laughs) They've created and the thing is, when you create a database, it's personalized. That's what you made. How can oh. someone else make any sense of this? You know, it's custom to their strategy and their personality. Like, you really got to put the work in if you want to be successful. That's all I can say. But, yeah, but, I just think that, 
you know, I, you know, I, I joked about your 28 inch arms earlier, but uh, you know, that building that database, that's, I always call it, it's just putting in the reps, man. You mm-hmm. got to put in those reps and you know, people are, you know, give me a spreadsheet and I'll, I'll give them a spreadsheet, but I'm like, listen, if you're using my spreadsheet six months from now, you fail. Okay. You can use mine. You could use Steven's. You could use Chris's to get started. Okay. Get an idea. But yeah. if that thing is the same, six months from now, you failed. You got to, it's got to be customized to you. And that's putting in the reps in my opinion. So. And and Chris, like I know about, like we, we chatted on Twitter. You made me laugh. I'm on ADF. I'm all, I'm on alternate fasting days. I'm on an alternate fasting day tomorrow. I'm worried about it. You you were like, Oh dude, just, just don't eat for three days and have three protein shakes a day or something like that. So you're an extreme guy. I'm an extreme guy. Like, But like, how many hours have you put into data tracking and the science? How many hours? How how many hours would you recommend someone else puts in daily to to nail this game to your level? Like, how many hours have you put in? Um, like daily, just give us a daily average of how hard you work to get to where you are. Well, I worked a lot harder when I was starting because I was in the process of creating the strategy. So I put a lot more time in it. There was a lot more trial and error, a lot of tinkering with things. So I've got things pretty streamlined now where I don't have to put as much time in, but I still hand track the data every day. So like right now, what I'll do is I'll log all the, the gappers of the day, everything that triggered on my Paris scans. I'll track the high of the day, the low of the day after the entry. I'll track the volume at the end of the day. Um, I'll track the lowest cover time. I'll track uh, float rotation, all of those things so I can see you know, which statistics are making changes. Because like I said before, I'm going to have to make some serious changes to my cover criteria going forward because things are just too dangerous to hold right now. Like you see so many like end of day squeezes and rips and reclaims. It's just not a safe Well, time. I just, I still, you know, just going back to MDGS, I mean, and yeah. like, I can't remember the exact time, but like at 10 a.m., it was like MDGS was like a dream come true. Oh, it, you know. Fading volumes going away, Such and then a joke, I yeah, and then a, I was a dollar a share, and what? It's like what? And then it rips, and then it, and then it just dies right after that. But it's like that's the shit that's so scary. So, but for new traders, if you're looking for like a time frame where it takes to become successful, I would say at least put four to five hours in outside of market hours. Yep. Right. Put the time in. Like treat this like a full time job. To track in. If you want results, then put the time in. Like, how badly do you want it? There's no minimum. Put as much time as you possibly can if you want to make it in this game. Because, like I said, only 10% of guys make it in here. If you're going to make it in that club, you got to earn it. You got to give yourself a reason. Why should you be there? Yeah, but I mean, I mean, look, I've I've got to say personally, I've put in one, two, one to two hours a day data tracking, and already I, I got profitable. Like, I started really making money, and I started having crazy months and crazy account growth just from two hours a day tracking Excel data. So imagine you did three, four, five hours a day how much further you could go but yeah. uh, for, for some reason and I was talking to another guy a couple of weeks ago on here and people it's like people don't want to put the work in or, or mm. for whatever reason or they're not wired to do it but, um, I, <laughs> well I, I, remember I mean, I mean I mean we talk about this a lot I mean at the end of the day the market attracts lazy people you know yeah, yeah get rich I mean, I mean I mean again I, I I tell this story all the time I mean if you got 500 bucks in a in a a, a $200 laptop, you can start trading, you know? I mean, it's like, and, and so it, it just attracts that mentality, you know? Yeah. So for sure. I remember when I first got into trading, I was you know inspired by all the typical guys like Stephen Ducks, Tim Brittany. So I would look at how they approached trading and to them, it was more than just a career. It was mm-hmm. a passion. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted it so bad. Like they put in all the effort all the time. And I thought, all right, this is what it takes to be successful. You have to go over and above and beat your competition in every way possible. Well, but I mean, you know, the, the analogy, again, I, hours. you know, it's you're, you you're, you were a pharmacist. I mean, how many people try to be a pharmacist and fail? You know, <laughs> it's like, I mean, you know, it's, 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 you got to have that work ethic and you got to have that passion. And I think back to Steven's point, you know, it's like the reason so many fail is they, they don't have the work ethic and they don't have the passion, you know, so yeah. But uh, I just want to jump in and say, um, I mean, Chris, how well do you know F1 Team Boss? Because he sent a personal message on Twitter for you. Uh, F1 Boss is in my room, actually. He's a, <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> in my chat room. 
He's, uh, he's quite the character. He keeps things light. <laughs> yeah. Nah, I mean, F1 Team Boss is a really cool guy. I've, I've got my own live stream that I do during the day every day. I just had F1 Team Boss on. Um, he had a question for you. He said, how does it feel to be an effing millionaire? That was yeah. the question that F1 put to you. <laughs> Uh, feels you know surreal, surreal. You know, because just a year ago I had three thousand dollars in my account, three thousand eight hundred dollars, less than a year ago. So that's the potential growth, you know, in trading, compounded growth. But again, you know, it's it's just it's just you know it's reflected in so many things. Again, just just I mean, you, you again, I can tell your work ethic. Just the way you, I, I just talking with you for 45 minutes. I can just tell the way you're a deep thinker, you know, it's like you're, you're not impulsive, you know, it's like, and, and, and you're detail orientated and, and it's just, that's what it takes. And, and listen, I, uh, I don't know F1 team boss, but uh, I've, I've followed, <laughs> I've followed him loosely. I watched a little bit of the stream yesterday <laughs> and, you know, listen, like, I, I, am, I, I appreciated his candor the other day because he was just like, I'm a fucking lunatic man. <laughs> and, and if you're like, okay, why is, why doesn't it work for F? And again, I don't know the guy and I'm not bashing the guy. He's, but he's doing okay now though. He's doing okay but, now, by the but way. It, but, it, but it, here he hears he's, he's admitting he's a fucking <laughs> lunatic. And then Chris is like the most thoughtful, you know, analytical guy. And it's like, okay, why are they on opposite ends of the spectrum doing the same thing? And, and, you know, to the listener, yeah. Be like Chris. Be, that, that's what I will say. <laughs> but F1 can learn. Don't don't write yeah. off oh, F1. Yeah. And Chris, don't listen to them, boss. Don't listen to them. <laughs> but, Chris, <laughs> but Chris, F1 can learn, right? Mm-hmm. F1 team boss yeah. can learn. He's, he's yeah. so much better than he was. Yeah, he's been a lot better. He's managing his risk well. Really proud of his progress. Yeah, he's, he's doing okay. I've, I've got one from Chris Reeves on Twitter. He said, if he could, if, if he being you, could only choose three pieces of advice to give a trader that wants to accomplish pro status, what would it be? Three tips. Well, the first thing I would say is follow your plan. Execute your plan. Have a plan before you go into a trade. I think most guys, when they trade, they make decisions on the fly. Yep. That will never make you money. Yep unless you're like one of the best discretionary traders with 10 years of experience. I would say follow your plan and stick with it. Don't change it on the fly. Don't, you know, make exceptions. Don't say, Oh, just this once I'll get away with it. We always have those thoughts, right? Oh, just this one time I'll add here and it'll come back down and I'll average up and and get okay. But all it takes is that one time to lose everything. Um, Another tip, don't blow up your account. Do not ever (laughs) risk more than like half your account on a trade. Right, use a stop loss with your broker if you have to. Yep. Set a max loss so that you don't lose everything. Because in the heat of the moment, we've all been there. When your primitive mind takes over, all rationality goes out the window. You cannot trust yourself because a different part of your brain is in control. So how can you make good decisions when you're totally emotional? So use a broker-induced stop loss and do not text your broker once it's been hit to remove it. <laughs> we've all done it. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> Um, and another thing that helped me a lot, I wrote this in my blog is keep a journal that you write by hand, right? When you write things by hand and we don't use pens anymore, we're all computers and iPads and all this like stylus things, write something down with ink. When you do that, it triggers something else in your brain and it just helps you learn in a different abstract way. And that's what really helped me. I don't know if you guys are aware of my blog, but when I started this journey, I used to write down every single day in my execution blog that execution is everything. I write 26 lines a page just to remind myself of what I had to do to be successful. And so that really cemented that, you know, message in my mind. If I wrote it down on a computer, I don't think I would have the same impact. So, so people, I, you, you, know. you, you, you might get, uh, I, I tell you, you might get nominated for my favorite guest ever, Chris. So Stephen no, knows, I don't Steve, believe that. Steve, I don't Stephen, believe it. Stephen knows where I'm going. So his, his three tips. Okay. What's number one? I, I, I joke all the time we should rename this podcast the Have a Plan podcast because that's like out of 170 episodes, if you had to boil them all down, it's Have a Plan, you know, bef- before you enter the trade. Yes, Number two is 
Stephen's and I and I always it always warms my heart a little bit. Stephen always tells this story. The first time we met, the very first thing I told him was stay in the game, which is exactly tip number two. Don't blow up your account because you blow up, you're out of the game. And then number three, you know, I've brought up on the podcast. I have, I have journals and journals and journals of these handwritten journals. I mean, I always call them, it's like the, the Ozzy Osbourne diary of a madman. Cause I did the same shit. I would write those. I mean, I hate to get into the crystals and the woo woo, but I, I do affirmations type stuff too, where, where, where you re, you write it physically, write it down. So you knew where I was going, Stephen. That was like the three, if, if, if you were like, hey, if you told them beforehand, if you want to get Tim excited, give those three tips. <laughs> no, no, it's been super good. And, and, and Chris, it's been, it's been super good to have you on. I, so Chris Verma, the millionaire trader, absolute data scientist. Do you have any final pieces of advice, final nuggets to help the new trader before we call this, call this up and rein it in? I do have one final comment, not really trading related, but I remember Tim, um, I saw your video a few years ago about ATAI in your backyard. Oh, which one was that? Oh, that was a handgun one. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) That cracked me up so much. ATAI, short. He pulls out his handgun and starts firing off. Well, I appreciate. It. I'm, I appreciate it. you had some fun with that. So, but it's like, I mean, it was that was another one. I mean, that was, I remember that epic squeeze, and um, and I just, you know, and the, the catalyst with the video was, man, I've been, you know, I've been trapped in those, and you felt like that. I mean, it was like that, you know, and yeah. been there too many times, man. So, <laughs> really, I just thought that was a funny video, crack. <laughs> but. Uh... Otherwise, Chris Verma, you are K R I S V E R M A eighty eight. You must be a year younger than me. Chris Verma eighty eight on Twitter. I know you have your own chat room and stuff like that. Look him up on Chris Verma eighty eight on Twitter. Uh, otherwise, mate, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Yeah, I'm, loved it. Yeah. I, I've loved to have. I love talking to you on Twitter. I, I'd love to have you on this podcast. Yeah. Um, brilliant diet advice, although I haven't really got into it, but uh, you're extreme in your diet advice. I think you're extreme in your scientific analysis of the stocks. Uh, mate, just big, big thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure chatting with you guys. And uh, we could talk for hours trading. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll close out with this. As much as I make fun of, of day one low float sellers, if you're going to do it, do it like Krista. Okay, do you'll know, build that database, spend that time. Oh, Steven, have your plan, you know, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so well, I'll probably lose on more mind than Chris does, but it's okay. <laughs> All right, well, thanks, guys. And as always, everyone out there, definitely, you know, uh, Stephen gave out the Chris's Twitter handle, but he's got that weird accent, you probably couldn't understand a word of it. <laughs> so go over to steadytrade.com, we'll link to everything. You can always get the links there, we'll link to Chris's blog as well. and Thank you, Stephen, and thank you, Chris, and thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next on the uh, next Steady Trade Podcast. Thanks.